Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The FT. Welcome back to Banking Weekly with me, Patrick Jenkins. This week, we'll be talking about the Banking Commission in the UK and its series of five public roadshows around Britain, which kicked off in Leeds on Friday and continue today. The aim there being to canvas public opinion on reforming the structure of banking in Britain. Uh, Then we'll turn to the issue of uh, David Walker's recommendations on corporate governance in banking, again in the UK, and what the government is planning to do with those recommendations. And finally, we'll look at Ireland, obviously the big story of the day and of the month, really, and what is being done to try and pull Ireland out of its financial troubles uh, and its banks off the edge of a precipice, basically. I'm joined this week by Megan Murphy, our investment banking correspondent, and Jennifer Hughes, our senior capital markets writer. But we begin today with the Banking Commission, which, um, as I said, there were five of these debates scheduled over the next few weeks. Um, We had the first of them on Friday, uh, which happened in Leeds. It was a relatively uh, calm affair, I think. There wasn't any tomato throwing from what I'm, I could gather. Our correspondent Andy Bounds was there. And Megan, you saw that he witnessed Claire Spotterswood, which is, who is one of the maybe more radical members of the, of the five-member commission, um, you know, saying that this commission could do more than maybe some had expected. Yeah, I mean, I, the line that emerged uh, on Friday seems to have been Miss Spotterswood suggesting that basically the government could unwind the merger of Lloyds and HBOS, which obviously was struck at the height of the financial crisis. And that has given Lloyds Banking Group a huge share of the retail banking market in the UK. The government had explicitly waived competition law concerns over the merger to get it done. Um, And that's obviously been a subject of some controversy for some time now. I think this is a strand that is emerging um, from sort of people we know that are close to the commission's thinking, which is that They are looking at every possibility. They are looking at radical options. Well, most media attention and public attention has focused on separating retail from investment or so-called casino banking, as as some politicians like to call it. Really, in the retail sector is actually where we may see the most far-reaching structural reforms designed to break up um, the sector and, and actually to form new banking very strong banking companies on the high street. Yeah, I think that I think that's right. That, that that in a way, it's easier to be radical about that in the UK because it doesn't it doesn't have to be played out in the global context. Whereas splitting retail investment banking risks making the UK uncompetitive. I suppose, Jen, would you uh, agree on that? Yeah, I think you've hit the real point there. I mean, if you look at the banks that collapsed during the crisis. The ones where we can do the most about or where the UK government can do the most about are the ones that are really domestic. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, it'll be interesting to see whether the the hosts of the debates going forward uh, take a similar uh, take a similar line at all. We've got um, in Edinburgh this evening, Monday evening, 
we have uh, Bill Winters hosting uh, a debate there. And obviously, um, the home of RBS, probably the most sensitive British casualty of the crisis. Uh, I think that'll be a, a, a more heated affair, not least because uh, Mr. Winters is a noted, noted investment banker, uh, and probably the least likely member of the panel to push for any changes in terms of structure. Yeah, I think I think that's a key point. Because uh, This is something that I think the commission is actually a little bit sensitive to when they came out with their issues that they were going to be focusing on earlier this year. There was a lot of media comment that they seemed to sort of put some of the most far reaching solutions, such as forcing banks such as Barclays to hive off their investment banking operations. that they seem to be backburnering that. And, and from what I've picked up recently is they're very sensitive to that point and they want to make sure that people know that they are looking at all options. And that includes structural reforms that would put the UK even in a very different place than, say, you know, the US or certainly Asia in terms of what it demands from its banking sector. So um, I think, you know, we have just yet to see. We don't know what's going to come out of it. And for anyone to prejudge is is really prejudging at this stage. And we, yeah, and we don't get any firm conclusions until uh, next September, obviously an interim report before that, probably in the springtime. So we'll we'll keep reporting on these uh, on these debates in the meantime as they as they carry on over the next few weeks. Um, just a quick word on 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 the Walker report, which um, is back in the news today um, after um, George Parker, our political editor, um, uh, writing to that in today's paper that um, there could be a row brewing really between uh, George Osborne and um, and Vince Cable over to what extent David Walker's proposals on corporate governance reform in banking, particularly on pay, uh, will be adopted by the government. Um, what do you? I mean, it, it sounds like Osborne's moving away from this, Megan. Uh, it definitely does, and this comes out of a common piece that Sir David Walker wrote for today's paper as well, basically saying that. Yes, I put forward these um, very controversial uh, proposals to have banding in bankers' pay, which essentially would force banks to disclose how many of their senior bankers make over certain amounts of money, starting from 500000 and then moving up to a million and over $2 million, et cetera. Um, now, Sir David Walker has said, look, looking at this now, the UK just cannot move forward with these type of disclosure proposals alone. They must have, there must be some type of international cooperation. And it seems that the Treasury, sort of seeing that his own slightly shift away from what he had originally proposed, is now saying we are probably not going to implement in full on pay um, and require banding to this degree. They keep insisting that they are going to put forward a version of the original Walker proposals. But it does seem now that we're highly unlikely to see this banding proposal, which is such such a huge problem for the banks because it would reveal that putting aside sort of the very high earners, the Stephen Hesters, the Bob Diamonds, it would reveal just how many people at places like Barclays Capital, at RBS's Global Banking and Markets Division, make what to every to, to almost everyone you know in the UK is a staggering amount of money. And I think the banks have, have pushed back so hard on this because they realize that if it were revealed just how many numbers of them were taking home these staggering sums of money, that that would actually trigger a huge another round of outrage, a huge another, you know, clamor for reform on bonuses. So they've been really pushing back on this particular proposal. And just at the time when the public sector cuts are coming through, uh, I've guessed they're they're estimating that reneging a little bit on the idea of going ahead with this uh, is a, a far smaller price to pay than actual... Um, divulging the, the, the truth and therefore stoking that argument. I think that I think the issue is is that the banks feel like, look, they in the UK in particular, where the FSA has implemented 
probably the toughest regime on bonus payments in the world. They feel like, look, we have already reform- made a lot of reforms to go forward on this. And I wonder if what we're seeing today is a little bit of Osborne saying, I realize the threat to the UK's competitiveness if we put on top of what is already this toughest regime, this banning proposal, which would really put the UK out of line with the rest of Europe and and the UK and the US and, of course, with Asia. So I just wonder if they have managed to convince Osborne that, yes, there is a real threat here. We are almost at the tipping point now. And if you put this on top, we are really going to lose banks. We're going to lose people, et cetera. Now, that being said, this is going to cause a huge problem with Vince Cable, who has you know, repeatedly said that banning is a key part of what they need to see, precisely because of this lack of transparency about how much people are earning at the very top echelons of banking. I already saw Lord Miners out, you know, also very strongly condemning this sort of backtracking by the Treasury on this. So I think it's one of those issues that we could now see the Treasury saying, well, wait a second, actually, we are going to bring it in. I just think we're going to, it's going to be one of those ones we're going to have to watch. It's a very uh, fast-moving story, I'm sure. Okay, thanks, Megan, for that. Um, I'd like to turn our attention now to Ireland, obviously the big story at the moment, um, and to bring uh, Jen Hughes in on this because, um, Jen, you've been watching developments in the bond markets uh, this morning since... Uh, we got formal notification that Ireland uh, was going for a bailout. We still don't know exactly how big a bailout it'll be, how it'll be split between uh, national government bailout and bank uh, bailout. Um, but give us an idea of how the markets have responded, first of all, Jim. Well, the assumption seems to be if you're a junior or subordinated bondholder in Allied Irish or Bank of Ireland, you might be looking at some pain coming up in another so-called liability management exercise. Now, today we've had the first the results of the first vote from the Anglo-Irish Exchange Offer. This is the one where if you vote to say yes, you get 20% of the face value of your bonds and you also vote to approve this sweeper clause where anyone who doesn't vote yes, providing the motion's passed, anyone who doesn't vote yes gets swept up for one cent per thousand euro of bonds held, which is a pretty tough clause. Now, but, Anglo, just to remind everybody, Anglo is the most troubled of the Irish banks. It's long been nationalised. Um, and yet, so far, it's only been uh, Irish taxpayers who've kind of borne the brunt of that bailout. Um, and only now are the bondholders uh, finding themselves on the hook. Now, today's vote, um, bondholders have overwhelmingly said, yes, we'll take the 20 cents and get out and you can get on with your restructuring. We have still got some bondholders who haven't yet voted. Their vote comes next month. And one group of them is definitely threatening still to block their deal, which would just be a hitch in Anglo's plans, really. But what I'm hearing from people familiar with the Anglo situation is they've had a lot of pressure over this deal, which is considered very, very tough by the bondholders. But the biggest pressure isn't coming from the bondholders, it's coming from the Irish officialdom, who are effectively saying, why are you still giving these people 20 cents? That's what I was going to say. In today's environment, it starts to look relatively relatively generous when everyone's talking about complete anarchy, I suppose. Well, if you thought the Irish government was tough, it's nothing compared to what people think Brussels will want to put in this. So we've seen prices of the junior debt because that will be first in line. Uh, junior debt and Allied and Bank of Ireland have fallen today. Allied's trading at 40-something cents in the dollar. Uh, Bank of Ireland is somewhere in the 60s. So, you know, people are yeah. expecting something here. Now, that's a very different trend from the sovereign debt uh, markets, where I think we've seen a, a bounce this morning. Yes. Uh, bailouts is good news so really? far. Uh, well, we'll be watching that uh, element of the story. The other thing we 
going to look for in terms of the uh, any announcement that comes, whether it comes in a matter of days or, or even weeks, on the details of the Irish bailout is what exactly it means for the structure of uh, Ireland's banks beyond the actual uh, uh, capital structure. Uh, and one of the interesting things that came out of the weekend was that um, any bank that is bailed out is effectively going to have to um, restructure its operations quite significantly. I think that probably means winding down uh, a lot of their uh, historic exposure, historic lending portfolios, selling them on uh, on the cheap, I guess, in, in the wholesale markets, um, and also getting rid of foreign subsidiaries. What, what do you see happening there? How dramatic do you think that'll that'll be for the uh, for the Irish market? I think it's going to be pretty dramatic and it's going to have to look very dramatic. You know, the government's got to be seen to be doing everything here, that this is the final line. I mean, the thing about Ireland is time and time again, they put money into the banks over the last few years. I think the first bailout for Anglo was about, was a, a billion pound handout. Mm-hmm. And now we're 30 billion in. Mm-hmm. So steadily, it's got worse and worse. And each time they've said, this is it, we've done it. And it has never been enough. Now you've got Brussels and you've got the IMF in there. You've got to think that this has to be it. And they have to do pretty brutal restructuring really slimmed down, really simplified, and a lot of sales. Now, they are going to have to be careful how they do it. You can't just put everything on the market. No, I mean, I, I, th- I think there's a few things to say there. One is that there isn't that much in terms of uh, in terms of the foreign um, subsidiary, subsidiaries that they've signalled need to be sold, that remains to be sold. I mean, um, Allied Irish has spent the past few months trying to sell its operations and succeeding in selling its operations in Poland and in the US. Uh, it's still got a UK business, which it hasn't yet sold, so I can, I'm sure we'll see that happen. And Bank of Ireland, uh, meanwhile, depending on how involved it is in this in this bailout, may have to, um, I guess, sell out of the UK, where it's um, got uh, significant operations, not least its uh, post office joint venture here. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm, I think you're right. It's, it's on the historic uh, legacy loan uh, portfolios that we'll see the most. I think that the other the other worry for the whole Irish uh, banking sector is that the, the the manner in which this has all been dealt with up till now, with the the Nama Bad Bank, uh, which is the government entity that's taken on a lot of the commercial property assets, which turned sour, um, is precisely its definition as being relatively narrow, restricted to commercial property. And um, uh, there's a lot of people who predict that given Ireland's broader woes, um, it's only a matter of time before the huge residential property bubble uh, bursts uh, and therefore um, leaves the Irish banks with yet another wave of problems. Well, I guess if you haven't got too many foreign subsidiaries or other operations in general to sell, then you're going to have to just cut down the size of your banking book. And as you say, this is the stuff that hasn't yet been dealt with. Absolutely. I think it's uh, definitely a painful few months and probably years ahead uh, for Ireland's banks and the economy as a whole. So uh, we'll keep watching that. Thank you very much uh, for your thoughts on that, Jen. I'm afraid that's all we have time for uh, today. So um, all that's left for me to do is to thank Jen and Megan in the studio uh, and to thank you for listening. Banking Weekly was produced by LJ Filotrani. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.